Okay, can you open your Bible, please, to, to Numbers 23? We'll start there. And then we'll consider a couple of other portions of Scripture as well. Uh, but let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you uh, for this time you've given to us. Thank you that we can meet uh, for a second time today uh, to worship you. And uh, we do thank you uh, for your word that you uh, have spoken, and that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, thank you that we can spend some time together now studying your word. We do ask that uh, the Holy Spirit would help us uh, to understand uh, that which we're going to consider. And uh, Lord, please grant to us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and you help us to have a will uh, to obey. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now imagine what the world would be like if there was no lying. Okay, what would our world look like if there wasn't one lie told for just one day? I wonder how big the mess would be the following day that needed to be cleaned up when lying was permissible again. Now, how many lies do you think would be told worldwide each day? No doubt it would be in the billions. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? Now, how many decisions are made, both great and small, based on lies? How many relationships are built on lies? How many business transactions are sealed because of lies? How many difficult situations are avoided by lying? How much of media is based on lies? And what would happen in your life if you could no longer lie? It's hard to imagine a life without lying, where one doesn't lie and when one is not lied to. And for most of us, we wouldn't need to think too hard or too long to recall the last time we lied or we were lied to. Okay, lying is pervasive in our lives, and things would no doubt look very different in our world if every lie was untold. In fact, that would create utter chaos. And with this in mind, isn't it amazing that God has never lied? There has never been one time where he has deliberately deceived or misled. He has never given false information. He has never broken a promise. He has always been truthful. From eternity past, truth governed the relationship within the Trinity. From creation up until this very moment, he has never lied and he never will. Furthermore, Jesus was on earth for 33 years and not once did he lie. That is astonishing. And I'd like to show to you from the Bible that God can't lie and consider why this matters. So four texts of scripture that prove to us that God can't lie. The first is found in Numbers 23 and verse 19. It says this, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and he, sorry, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? 
Okay, these words actually come from the mouth of a hired prophet. He's internationally renowned. His name is Balaam. And he was hired by King Balak, who was hoping to use him as a weapon of mass destruction. You can use that term. Okay, he wanted to stop the advancing Israelites who had posed a threat to his kingdom. And his thinking was that he would pay the prophet, okay, pay Balaam, to bring divine curses upon Israel. He knew conventional warfare wouldn't be successful, so he had to think outside of the box. And he was hoping that curses from the gods would frustrate and hinder Israel. But Balak was growing frustrated and impatient. He'd opened up the coffers to bring in this religious hitman, but he had been unable to deliver. He had proven incapable of cursing Israel. He tried to curse the whole nation. Then he tried to curse a smaller group. And then he tried a different location, but it all failed. He was unable to exert control over the Lord. And there's an important lesson there for you and I. We don't control God. We can't manipulate God. We can't force his hand. God can't be dictated to by you or me. Just ask Balaam. And in our text, we have a message from God that was given to Balaam to pass on to King Balak. And isn't that ironic? God is telling Balaam what to do, not the other way around like Balak desires. And this is actually the second oracle that he shared with the king. And the message went something like this. The Lord said, I have promised to bless Israel. I have made a covenant with them. And nothing that you say or nothing that you do can alter this. It is settled. And king, understand your man Balaam, he is unable to change my mind. In fact, even if I wanted to curse Israel like you desire, I can't do that. And why? Why can't God do that? This is God's self-revelation. He says, because I can't lie. And the Lord makes it clear that he's not like man. We see this verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. He makes it very clear that he's not like us. And that's very good news. It would be an absolute disaster if God was like us, even an updated version. But thankfully, he's not like man. He's not fickle. He doesn't say one thing and do another. He doesn't go against his words. He doesn't lie. And hence, he would keep his promises to Israel. He decreed that Israel would be blessed and blessed they would be because God gave them his word and God cannot lie. Text number two is 1 Samuel chapter 15. So if you can turn there, please. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we'll read verse 29. It says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should Repent. Okay, God will not lie 
even for the king of Israel. Okay, Saul here, he had really blown it. He deliberately disobeyed the clear instructions that had been given to him. The Lord said that Amalek was to be completely destroyed. Nothing was to be saved. But Saul, he spared the king. He spared the best of the livestock. He only partially obeyed. And understand partial obedience is disobedience. And this is a good lesson for parents, both present and future, to teach their kids. God demands complete obedience. Obedience, okay, partial obedience is still disobedience, okay, we we need to understand that. And in light of Saul's rebellious failure, this was the final straw, and the Lord rejected Saul. He, He was to be replaced as king, and this news had been delivered to the prophet, okay, the prophet was Samuel, a very godly man, and upon hearing this news, he was devastated. Verse 11 tells us that he cried out, to the Lord all night. He seems to, to have pleaded Saul's case, but the decision had been made. It was final, and it was Samuel's job to deliver the message. Now, that would not be the easiest mail in the world to deliver, would it? You've got to go to the most powerful man in the land and go, hey, uh, king, you're not going to be king anymore. Yeah, that would be slightly scary, but Samuel was faithful to the mission. And in this particular confrontation, Saul showed why he failed as a leader. As he spoke to Samuel, he lied. He tried to blame others. And he tried to spiritualize his sin. But he was rebellious. And Samuel broke the news to him that since Saul had rejected the Lord, the Lord had rejected Saul. And at that point, the king seemed to get a dose of reality. And his demeanor now changes to groveling. It's like a little child pleading not to be disciplined. That's the idea. Okay, he was desperate. And as Samuel turned to walk away, he latched onto his robe and it ripped. And this seems to be speaking of the tassels that God's law required to be on the robes. Can we read of this in Numbers 15, 38 and 39? And that these tassels were reminders of God's commandments. And with the tassel in hand, it functioned as a very vivid object lesson. Saul had disobeyed God's commandments, which the tassel symbolized. And like this tassel had been torn from the garment, so had the kingdom been torn from Saul. Okay, so this is the context of of the declaration in the verse I want to draw our attention to. And the idea is this was settled. Okay, we're told the strength of Israel. Okay, this is verse 29. And this is a unique title given to the Lord. This is the only place we find it in the Bible. It speaks of perpetuity, of truth, of trust, of endurance. And he had made the decision, and the decision was final. He will not lie. He won't go back on his word. He won't lie even for the king. Our God is not like man. He's not weak and feeble like us. And notice again, it's stressed that he is not like us. He won't go back on his word. This judgment of Saul was sure. This was not a mere threat. This was an irrevocable decision. And he would carry it out because 
God cannot lie. Text number three is Titus chapter one and verse two. So if you could turn your Bible there, please. Titus chapter one. We'll read verse two. I'll read from verse 1. Okay, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Okay, Paul, in the beginning of this letter to one of his fellow laborers and key partners in the gospel, he commences with what is a kind of mission statement. And it states some of the key objectives of his ministry. And this was no doubt to encourage Titus to do the same thing. And in the first two verses, Paul says that he is an apostle for the sake of the faith of believers, okay, for the gospel and its practical implications, and for instilling the hope of eternal life. So, so there's a job description of sorts. Now, eternal life, which we read of in verse 2, it's one of the great promises of the Bible. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, it plummeted us into sin, and it resulted in death and decay. Okay, we're now sinners by nature, sinners by choice, and everything was cursed. And this demanded a divine rescue mission. And this was executed by Jesus Christ. And this rescue mission is about regaining eternal life, restoring that which was lost. Eternal life speaks of both quantity of life, it won't cease, that there's no end, but also quality of life, being with Jesus and like Jesus. Eternal life is our present possession, but its ultimate completion, that is our great hope. And when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not wishful thinking. It's not the desire of wanting something to happen. You know, I hope the sun is shining on the weekend. When I was growing up, it always seemed to rain on Saturdays. So annoying. Okay, nor do we use it in the sense of when we're lacking confidence. Okay, this is highly unlikely, but I'm still hoping it happens. You know, I hope my team, okay, Manchester United, will win tonight. We'll beat Manchester City. I don't think it will happen, but I'm hoping that's not the hope that the Bible talks about. But rather hope as it's used in the Bible, it's a confident certainty. It's an expectation of something that is not yet ours in full, but one day it will be. It's something that has not yet happened, but it's guaranteed to take place. Biblical hope is an assured confidence. And in the text, Paul places all the weight of this promise of eternal life on the character of God. This is why it's sure. This is why we can be confident because God does not lie. God has promised eternal life and he will deliver. Okay, our hope of eternal life, it is founded, it is grounded on the character and integrity of God. And our God, he's not like Satan. Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning. But our God, he cannot lie. And it's not just that he doesn't lie, but he cannot 
lie. And this is the unshakable foundation of our hope. God cannot lie. Text number four uh, is Hebrews chapter six. So if you could please turn there. Hebrews chapter six. And we'll read verse 18. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Okay, this portion of scripture, okay, verses 13 to to 20, okay, they are a body to be viewed together. And they function as an introduction to what follows in the following chapter, which is all about Melchizedek. But it's also an explanation of the basis of our full assurance of hope. Okay, this is mentioned in verse 11. Okay, verse 11 says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Okay, and this portion of scripture that follows... is about proving why we can trust God. And here is the good news for us. Our hope, our assurance, does not depend on our stability or strength of our faith, but on the absolute trustworthiness of God. And the writer uses Abraham as an example. And when the Lord covenanted with Abraham, he made an oath, and on that oath, he swore on himself. And when humans are trying to prove that they are telling the truth, that they'll often swear on someone's life or someone's grave. You know, I'm telling the truth. I swear on my children's life that, that what I'm saying is truthful. Okay, I'm sure you've heard something like this in your life. Okay, this was very common in Bible times. And if someone was super serious, you would swear on a God. That was the strongest oath. And the Lord, he swore on himself. Now, he didn't need to make such an oath because his word was already sure. But he did this for the benefit of the heirs of the promise. But there was nothing greater that God could swear on than himself. And notice what we're told in verse 18. It says it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. This is unable to happen. So so even if God for some reason wanted to lie, which wouldn't happen, but if he did, he couldn't. Okay, understand God can't do anything that contradicts his person. And he is truth. Okay, this is one of his attributes. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and hence he cannot lie. Okay, it's impossible for God to lie because if he did, he would cease to be God. So there are four portions of scripture that make it very clear that God cannot lie. It's impossible. But why does this matter? Why is this important? What what are some practical ramifications. Okay, here are four points of application. Okay, number one, it assures the truthfulness of the Bible. 
Okay, it assures the truthfulness of the Bible. Okay, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Okay, this is the clear testimony of the Bible itself. And it's the only explanation of the reality of the scriptures that makes sense of the evidence. And since God cannot lie and the Bible is his word, it means that what we have recorded in the scriptures is true. Okay, it's free from error. It's completely trustworthy. Okay, this is why we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. It's grounded in God's character. And we don't need to be skeptical about the Bible because we are assured by God's unchanging character that he cannot mislead or deceive us through his word. Okay, everything in the Bible is true and it can be trusted completely. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. And that needs to be our unshakable conviction. And it can be because of God's inability to lie. And this means that we can have an unshakable conviction of the truthfulness of Christianity. Because understand, our whole faith would be slightly dubious if God was able to lie. Because we'd have to have a little bit of suspicion about everything that he has said. What if he is lying? Okay, how can I be sure? But since he cannot lie, the Bible is absolute truth and it assures us of the veracity of Christianity. God's inability to lie assures us that our faith is not vain. Okay, the second point of application. Okay, it should govern how we interpret the Bible. It should govern how we interpret the Bible. Okay, since God cannot lie, it is not possible for him to deceive or to mislead us in any way. And since the Bible is his word, it means that we should understand and interpret his word literally. God does not say one thing, but mean another thing. Okay, that would be misleading. That would be deceptive, which goes against his character. Okay, and since that's the case, the historical, grammatical, interpretive approach to scripture, if that means nothing to you, that's what we strive to do at our church. Okay, that approach harmonizes with the character of God. He doesn't say one thing, but mean another. Okay, he does not intentionally or unintentionally mislead or deceive us through his word, and hence we need to take literally what he is saying. Okay, that's the approach to scripture that harmonizes with God's truthfulness. The third point of application is that it assures that God will judge. Okay, it assures that God will judge. Uh, in the second text that we considered in 1 Samuel, the, the removal of Saul from the throne, okay, that was judgment for his sin, and this was assured because God promised it, and he cannot lie, so it was irrevocable. Likewise, in the Bible, we're told that God will judge sin. Okay, he promises that. And he's not like a man. He won't change his mind. He won't wake up one day and say, what? I changed my mind. I'm no longer going to judge 
sin. Okay? He's made this declaration and it will come to pass because he cannot lie. Okay? Hell is a reality. And it's the just judgment for sin. But the good news is this. God has provided a way to be saved. God has provided a way for us to be made right with him. To experience the forgiveness of sin. And this too is trustworthy because God can't lie. Okay? Our sin, it, it messed up everything. But God, in his great love and his stunning grace, sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the great rescue mission. Jesus took upon himself human flesh. God lived with man. Isn't that astonishing? And he lived a perfect life that we never could. And in obedience to the Father's plan, he went to the cross. And there he took upon himself the sin of mankind. He was punished in our place. The father poured out his holy wrath upon his son. And he died for our sin. He was buried and he rose again. And he has made salvation from sin and judgment a possibility. We can experience forgiveness. We can be spared from the judgment we deserve. Okay? And this can be yours if you repent of your sin, admit you're a sinner, turn from it okay, and believe, that is, have confidence that Jesus is God and that he died for your sin and he rose again and that this alone is sufficient to save me. That's the gospel. And if you embrace it, you will be saved. But the fact that God can't lie assures that you will be judged. But it also means that God's salvation is true and you can be saved. The question is, will you come to Christ? And the fourth point of application is that God will keep all his promises. Okay, every promise that God has made will come to pass. Isn't that amazing? In fact, every promise that God has made must come to pass because God cannot lie. And this is our great hope. This is our confidence. This is our sure foundation. Everything that God has promised us in this life, everything that he's promised us in the life to come is as good as done. It's guaranteed. If God said it, he will do it. Because it's impossible for him to lie. And when we call to mind some of the promises that he has made in his word, that's astonishing. Let's think of a few. Okay? He has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us eternal life. He has promised that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. He has promised that Jesus' work on the cross is enough. He has promised that Jesus is coming back. God has promised that he is for us and not against us. He has promised that he will provide all of your needs. He has promised that his grace is sufficient for you. Now one author has said that the Bible contains 7,147 promises from God and he will keep them all. Since God can't lie, he will keep every single promise. And for the Christian, that is a blessed reality. You know, how wonderful 
that our God is not like man. He's not fickle. He's not untrustworthy. He's not deceitful. He won't mislead us. And although our world may be full of lies and deception, we can be assured that our God has never lied. He's not lying presently, and he will never lie. Here is another thing that God cannot do. And again, it magnifies how great and glorious our God is. Praise the Lord that he can't lie. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, that you are uh, the God uh, of all truth. Thank you that you don't lie. Thank you that it's impossible uh, for you to lie. And our Father, this ought to bring us great joy because you have promised us uh, some amazing things. And they are uh, good as done. And our Lord, I do pray uh, that this would uh, encourage us and and lift up our spirits as we ponder uh, these wonderful things. We ask this in Jesus' name.